Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 11 is in the books. Uh, what what would you say your mood is right now? Did you have a good football watching experience this weekend? Uh, if you're a masochist, you did. <laughs> a masochistic Virginia Tech Hokies and New England Patriots fan, I take it. At least the Celtics signed Jason Tatum to a contract extension, so <laughs> it wasn't all bad. I mean, we, we couldn't get away without talking a little bit of basketball here on the Basketball Conference podcast, I take it. That's um, right. That is right. Mike, we have uh, we have games and other things to talk about here. Um, let, let, let's start by saying this: we're going to talk about some games, but really, we're gonna we're gonna finish off talking about the Pittsburgh Virginia Tech game that was on Saturday afternoon and. I know that you, you know, between other podcasts that you've been on and, and some articles that you've written for Sons of Saturday, like you got some big program thoughts and, and we don't have like a ton of game content to talk about this week. So I think it makes the most sense that we dive a little bit into Virginia Tech, but we're going to wait and do that until after we've talked about the other games, if that's fair. I have some thoughts. I, I suspect that you do. And <laughs> spoiler alert, I read your article today about Justin Fuente and his tenure. And yeah, folks, y'all are going to want to stick around for these thoughts. Yep. Um, Mike, before we do that, uh, let's talk about some games. But before we can actually talk about actual games, uh, we did have a late breaking cancel on us uh, right at about 9 a.m. Saturday morning as College Game Day was kicking off. We got word, breaking news, that the Clemson-Florida State game had been postponed and maybe canceled. Who knows? Um, and it was it was kind of a chaotic scene when it first happened. Um, basically, there were reports that Clemson had a player who was symptomatic, uh, but he was testing negative for COVID and was practicing during the week and had traveled with the team. And then Friday night, they get like a third person or a third party test back that came back positive. And so then the, the team's medical staffs were trying to meet and trying to figure out if we felt safe playing or not. And then they decided not to. And then a whole pissing contest ensued between Dabo Swinney and Mike Norvell and some of the players. And, and really it was a lot of just back and forth of, of who was in the right and who was in the wrong. We've since gotten some, comments this evening from Dabo uh, here as we record on Sunday you know late afternoon this evening that have really not been a good look on him or on the program and I I I have a couple of thoughts here but Mike the long and short of it is this whole thing has been a complete and total mess for the last uh, you know 48 hours or so and it, it none of it has been a good look on I don't think anybody involved unfortunately yeah and I feel like every 25 or 30 minutes we're getting and this has been for like 48 hours now it feels like every half hour or so we're getting new information that we didn't know in the half hour prior where it's like, hey, that guy actually traveled. And then a new report comes out. Hey, uh, no, he didn't. And yeah. it's like, OK, so do you travel or not? And then there's information about 
whether or not he practiced and when he practiced and how many times he practiced and when he got tested and how many times and was it positive, was it not? Anyway, this is what happens, Joey, and this is my broad thought on it as the information continues to come out and Florida State and Clemson just try to dunk on each other, which mm-hmm. is fu- fun for me, by the way, as yeah. a fan who really doesn't care about any of these two schools. <laughs> it is fun to watch these guys get in the rut and try to dunk on each other. And as all of this new information comes out with it, my broad thought is that if you're the ACC and you're leaving it up to your member institutions and their medical staffs to determine whether or not you're going to play a football game in a pandemic, this is what happens. Their heart was in the right place for that, Joey, because they want to make sure everybody's healthy. And I get that's the intent. But when everybody looks to be healthy or at least all but one person look to be healthy and you follow the protocols as written, which it seems like Clemson did in this case. Why is Clemson now in the wrong? And then consequently with Florida state, like why aren't you playing the game? And that's the question I had yesterday when the information first broke, because it seemed like, and Clemson did a very nice job from a PR standpoint. Dan Radakovich comes right out at like 9.30 on Saturday morning and says, we were prepared to play. We followed all the ACC protocols mm-hmm. and we, you know, we welcomed the opportunity to play Florida State in the future. And they got out ahead of it. Now, Dabo stepped in it mm-hmm. on Sunday evening, but I thought that Clemson initially did a really nice job getting out ahead of it saying we followed all the protocols because whether we like it or not, they appear to have followed the protocols as they were written and they were prepared to play as the rules were written. Yeah. Now, whether or not they really were doing it in good faith with a guy who could have been positive and might've been practicing all week is a whole nother discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I I don't know what the right answer here is like we're in a pandemic. It's hard to, it's hard to really get a good answer. Truthfully. Exactly. There's that. I mean, there's that. And, and really that was a lot of kind of my takeaway to some degrees, like, I, I'm not really bothered one way or the other that they whether they're going to play the game, not play the game. Like I, I'm going to trust people who know more about what's going on to make the right decision, and that's you know, I, I I'm a little bit butthurt because I would have loved to put up a little bit of money on Clemson to cover 35, and I did the fir- the first half number and the team total number and all this stuff. Like so, I'm just going to go ahead and consider yep. that money out of my pocket from that standpoint. But otherwise, big like, push, big push, big push. Yeah, me. just you know. But otherwise, like you know, I I don't know. Play the game, don't play the game, whatever. It is what it is, and and like we said, like. I mean, people know more about this than I do. Not only just the, this specific situation and, and the facts of what did or didn't happen, but there's also the aspect of like, you know, how do we properly handle it? People know more about that right. than I did. Definitely. What I'm, what I was really taken aback by here, Mike, was really kind of two things and kind of totally separate things. First of all, the details as we understand them is that this player was symptomatic and testing negative, and maybe he was practicing, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But the point was he was symptomatic and testing negative. And what we know about this virus is that if you have enough of the virus in your system to be symptomatic, like I, I would tend to think you shouldn't be testing negative. Correct. So how is it that he had symptoms, was testing negative, then the symptoms kind of went away and he was still testing negative, And then a third party test comes back positive. Like, what the hell testing are you using if a guy is pretty clearly got enough of the thing in his system to somehow then come back? Like, really? Yeah. I don't understand then, that at all. And then the question for me comes down to the testing and whether or not that was a false positive if the symptoms kind of went away and he never tested positive when he had symptoms. And now 
his symptoms go away and now he's tested positive and it's a third party test and he'd been tested negative all week. I mean, somebody's test is wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that, that raises bigger questions in my mind of how, how safe is any of this? If we, if, if somebody who's pretty decidedly positive for it is testing negative, like what are we doing? Um, so there's that. Right. The other pieces you mentioned was Dabo stepping in it tonight, and that is that is putting it lightly. I think um, yes, Dabo basically coming out playing you know big burly man ball, saying oh they scurred like we you know we were ready to play, and basically said this game was not canceled because of COVID. COVID was just an excuse to cancel the game. To me, the Florida State administration forfeited the game and said that if Florida State wants to play Clemson, they can either refund the travel expenses or come to Clemson to play. So we know how Dabo feels about this. Dabo, brother, I just, I just got to tell you, not a good look. Not a good look. Read the room, buddy. Read the room. You know, not a good look. I wouldn't have said it, but might not be wrong. It's just it's funny to me, and I was thinking about this a little bit too, Mike, is that Dabo is a guy that we we always knew came from humble beginnings and he was all shucks, you know, southern preacher kind of guy and loved talking about little old Clemson and uh, you know, it was kind of this America's darling sweetheart there for a few years as Clemson was kind of rising to prominence. I couldn't help but think about the quote from one of the Dark Knight movies, Mike, that uh oh. You either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. And I feel like Dabo is kind of going full heel turn here and kind of just becoming the villain. And I don't really know what he has to gain from this. Yeah. Every time he steps in front of a microphone, he pisses a lot of people off. Now I don't care one way or another. I think part of that comes from just being successful. I mean, Nick Saban has said the right thing in front of a microphone for basically the entire time he's been coaching. He's very rarely controversial from the standpoint of, talking about his players more of the controversy around Nick Saban when there is quote unquote controversy is how he kind of fights back at the media. Yeah. The rat poison quote comes to mind, for example, Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you are, you are letting my players believe in their own press clippings when we're trying to get ready to play a crap ass team like Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I think of when I think of controversy with Nick Saban and a lot of people, hate Nick Saban because of that, right? And they hate his attitude um, towards the media at times. And then I think a lot of people make Saban out to be this terrible guy because of that. And I think that's just an element of jealousy, right? The success that he has. And a lot of that comes with the territory. Now, I think Dabo has that going for him too. And I think Dabo is far more controversial in front of a microphone than Saban is. But it's the same same sort of thing where... Clemson didn't have these problems when they weren't winning 11 and 12 games a year. This is a high rent district issue mm-hmm. where every clip that your coach, you know, your coach has in a press conference matters. Everything that he says is going to be taken, you know, either at face value or out of context, depending on the angle by media people. Yep. Right. That's just that just comes with the territory of being a really successful program and having a very successful head coach. And I don't know what Dabo has to gain for it either um, by saying some of the things that he says. But I think at the end of the day, he's trying to just motivate his guys and know what the message was in the locker room. It's pretty apparent given how the press conference went on Sunday night. The message in the locker room was they're afraid to play us. 
we're really good. Let's go and get them in two weeks or whenever they end up playing Florida State if they do, right? Let, mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's go let them feel us in two weeks. Yeah. That's that's that was the message in the locker room. They're Clearly. afraid we're going to we're not going to let them forget it. Yep. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a, just a messy situation. Nobody comes out of this looking any better, honestly. Um, every, everyone kind of looks worse in some form or fashion. So right, right. I'm I'm ready for it to not be a story anymore. But somehow I feel like the way that this has been handled a little bit from the Clemson end of things, it we're you know we're probably just going to keep talking about it for a few days. So mm-hmm. more more to come on that, I suppose, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is all at the end of the day, kind of the price of doing business when you're playing football in a pandemic. That's right. That's right. So let's move on, Mike. We've got actual games that we do want to talk about. Again, there will probably be more to come on that subject. Let's talk about some games. Uh, we started the weekend off Friday night with a game that was... Uh, there's not a lot of these games that were really fun to watch, but kind of in different forms and fashions. Um, so let's start here. Louisville 30, Syracuse nothing. Um, hmm. So Louisville, I mean, it took them a little bit of time to get going, but finally when they did, I mean, it... It, they were able to look okay, even without uh, Javian Hawkins. Um, I mean, decent night for Malik Cunningham. The defense obviously played well, didn't give up any points. But I think more so the story here, Mike, is Syracuse is done. It is not good. Got Jacoby and Morgan started for him. Had a, a Rex Culpepper sighting there kind of in the middle of the game at one point. Syracuse manages a grand total of 41 snaps on offense, only seven first downs, 137 yards. They were one for ten on third down, over two on on fourth down. Turned the ball over three times. Had the ball for less than twenty minutes of this game. I mean, there was this was an absolute rout for Louisville. If you think this score looks kind of bad, it, it it was probably worse than the scoreboard looks. Um, yeah. So I I would agree. Nice little as as I kind of predicted it might be on the preview. Nice little net crack game for Louisville. Just. Kind of get some of the uh, get some of the frustration out and, and you know move the ball up and down the field, score some points. That was great, but boy, Syracuse is not in a good spot right now, Mike. Not good. So uh, I would like to say that you were right; I was wrong. <laughs> okay, so let's get that out of our system early here. I do like to be right, especially in a year when it has been few and far between. <laughs> it's been a fleeting proposition. <laughs> uh. You're right. Okay. So we got that out of the way. Um, it's funny because it was a it was a neck crack game for Louisville, and they kind of played like shit. They, they kind of weren't very good for a while, especially yeah. in the first half, right? Or at least in the first quarter. I, I thought they really kind of got it together in the second quarter and played much better the rest of the way. But this wasn't like an awe-inspiring victory for Louisville from the standpoint of they played really well. And that's why it was 30 to nothing. This was, and it's funny that you mentioned this, Joey, the final score isn't indicative of how bad it was for Syracuse. If Louisville had played a little bit better in the first quarter, they might hang 50 on Syracuse. Mm -hmm. They might, at the very least, I think they hang 45 on Syracuse. There was an early turnover by Malik Cunningham that uh, kept Syracuse in it. Jacoby and Morgan. So I, I talked, we were talking on this podcast, number one, but I talked with Lauren Brownlow on her, on her podcast last week about this. It would be interesting to see if Syracuse has something in Jacoby and Morgan. And I have come to the conclusion through watching this game that they have not found something in Jacoby and Morgan. He's not very good. And he's also a true freshman. So, you know, I get it. But 
Sam Howell was a true freshman last year, and we knew pretty quickly North Carolina had something. Yeah, in a year they uh, went six Sam and six. Sam Howell performances for 40 yards and an interception. In a year they went six and six. That's correct. So uh, do we want to talk about the Syracuse quarterback QBR? Uh, you didn't notice that until now did you I did not Uh, they averaged more yards per attempt than the QBR and the QBR is out of 100 so that's not good (laughs) Jacoby and Morgan a 1.7 QBR bad somehow that led the team (laughs) because Rex Culpepper in his appearance in the middle of the game yielded a 0.4 QBR shoo buddy um and Syracuse quarterbacks 2.8 yards per attempt. Yeah. Woof. I I don't know I don't know what to do here. Like I mean there's just not a lot. I mean I I will say this from a positivity standpoint about Syracuse. I I, I will maintain this defense actually looks competent somehow yes. even though it's missing like two of its three best players. Um they actually look competent. They play hard. Like the hire that Dino Babers made at defensive coordinator was a good one, and it is paying off. The problem is the offense is useless. Like terrible. Cannot move the ball at all. Like worst offense in the country. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute nightmare. So I don't know. I, I've got nothing. That, that's as far as I can say anything positive about Syracuse. Is the defense is not terrible. I have another positive. Okay. The game ended. <laughs> it's it's done now. <laughs> it's done. Uh, That's going to be a theme, by the way. Yeah. Syracuse now three straight games without attaining even five yards per play on offense. I mean, just brutal. This, Can we have this, a discussion? This was their fifth game of the year with under five yards per play on offense and four of those under four yards per play on offense. Like, yeah, let, let's have, yeah, let, let's have a discussion. Cause that's a good segue. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Syracuse have a Dino Babers problem or does Syracuse have a Syracuse football program being absolutely terrible problem? Because I've wavered on this a little bit and I, I, here's where I'm at. We're going to have a discussion about where I'm at here. I think the issue for Syracuse is programmatic in nature. At least the bigger issues for Syracuse are programmatic in nature. It's a very tough place to recruit. They're in a terrible location. They're a basketball school that just naturally will not ever receive the funding necessary to have an adequate football program from the standpoint of like being good enough to compete in the tougher of the two divisions in the ACC. They had success in the 90s, but that was in the old Big East, which was the good football conference. So is this program built to be successful for the long run in the ACC from a program standpoint? I think the answer is no. Now, Syracuse under Dino Babers, if, if you take all the programmatic stuff and kind of throw it to the side for a minute and talk about Dino Babers in a vacuum, they should be better than one and eight. Yes. Um, the offense should be able to score against Louisville's defense, which isn't that good. Mm-hmm. They should be able to score some points, and they can't. Yeah, their offense is the worst in the ACC. Yes, um, it's really, 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 really bad. Yep. Um, can't throw, can't run, no receivers to speak of. Really, 
just largely listless on offense. And that's a major issue. And then the defense, like you mentioned, if Syracuse had any like true semblance of an offense, it was even mediocre. This defense would take like three or four steps forward. Mm-hmm. The defense is always on the field and isn't nearly as bad as it could be. Yep. So I agree with you. I think they do have something on defense. I, I think that Syracuse at the very I was talking to Justin Cates about this, our buddy. Shout out Justin. Hey Justin. We were having a we were having a conversation about this over the weekend. We're we're trying to figure out like what should Syracuse be realistically? And I and I think they should at the very least be wake where you're winning like five or six games a year and then, you know, that's that's kind of the bar, and then anything above and beyond that is just chalk it up to really good coaching, which is what Wake has with Dave Clawson. I think that's reasonable. You're in the same division. You're a program that, historically speaking, has been a basketball school. But Wake Forest has the benefit of being able to recruit better players in North Carolina. Syracuse mm-hmm. has a lot of trouble in the Northeast mm-hmm. because nobody wants to go play there. Yeah. It's yeah. And as I think about it, I mean, yes, it is it is objectively tougher to recruit to Syracuse. I mean, where where is the recruiting base? I mean, you're going all the way across the state going into New Jersey or are you going, you know, like several hours away into Pennsylvania and and even further into Ohio? So it's it's not like there's a whole like an absolute mess of talent that's just immediately available to you. So right. there's that. But at the same time, you're Syracuse. Like, you're a Power 5 school. You've got a little bit of a brand, something. Like, there's also not a reason, kind of like you're mentioning, you shouldn't have some huge void of talent compared to Duke or Wake Forest or, you know, take your pick of any any other teams in the ACC. Like, there's no reason that you should be far and away the 14th most talented team in the league. Like, I, I, so there's there's that, and then, but as we've talked about before, I, I mean, it does feel like I, I can't say for sure with Dino Babers. I mean, we it's not like we've seen him be really successful at I don't know Penn State or even somewhere like Indiana or you know another kind of somewhat big time program. So it's I can't say for sure that he's definitely a great head coach, but it, it doesn't. I, we've talked about it before. And, and kind of what we're saying here, it does not seem like it is a Dino Babers problem. It seems like it's a little bit more of a Syracuse problem. Um, and that, that re- just simply replacing Dino Babers is not going to fix the issue here. There's something else that needs to be fixed. And I don't know what it is. And I'm not sure we're going to really have the answer to that until we see another group of five head coach go and coach at Syracuse and have any sort of level of success, whether that's relative to Dino Babers or really anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's how we're actually going to find out the true answer to that. Cause I agree with you. Like, I don't know. We all, if we all know what the answer is or who the answer is <laughs> from a coaching standpoint, or, you know, really if Dino's the guy moving forward. But I'll tell you what, like, if you're going to fire Dino, which I don't think they're going to do, because even with this kind of bottoming out for Syracuse, this is a COVID year after all. And I think some programs are, have, a, have a fan base that's more hungry than others from a football standpoint yep. uh, to make a move like that. But if and when they eventually make a move on from Dino Babers, 
I mean, who's going to go coach there? And I'm in this camp now, Joey, where I think Dino Baber's biggest mistake of his coaching career was taking that power five job. Yeah. Yeah. Like he doesn't, he just can't get the guys on offense that he needs to run the offense that he wants to run. I mean, it's as simple as that. He just can't recruit those types of players uh, to Syracuse. And even like, you know, at his previous stops, like he was in more fertile recruiting ground where you can at least get, you know, some lower to mid tier three stars to come to your school who got, you know, turned away by bigger power five schools. Like he doesn't really have that option in New York. Right. And I think that's a big part of this too. So I don't know. If I'm Syracuse, the one guy I think I might look at that might be a guy that I think I could actually bring in and could make a pretty big step change. And we've mentioned this name before on this podcast is Lance Leipold, who mm-hmm. is at Buffalo right now. So he is also in, I don't know if that's technically upstate New York, but he's in not New York City. He's in, he's in, you know, Western New York. Um, he's a guy who you'll remember from 2007 to 2014 in eight years, he won six national titles at Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, in the division three, got hired by Buffalo. The first couple of years were kind of rough. And then the last three years, Mike 10 and four, eight and five, and he's currently three and zero. like, yep. so, and granted, yes, playing in the Mac, but like a lot of people watch that team and can agree, like that's a pretty legit, good Buffalo team and, and program that he's built. You know, he's now in year six there. Like, so, yeah, yeah. clearly there's something that he's doing there that works. Um, you know, I mean, Buffalo would be favored against Syracuse right now. I think so. Yeah, I, I probably would probably favor Buffalo there. So um, that's maybe the only name to keep an eye on. But, yeah, I, I don't know what you do from here if you're Syracuse. Like, this is not a good place to be in. But I also don't know, like, how how much angst there is or, or how desperate anybody is to make a move. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and and people expect us to know the answer to that because we do a podcast. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what the answer is there. Yeah, and I'm not sure many people do. Quite honestly, people even like follow the sport, write about the sport, like do podcasts like we do. I'm not sure anybody really knows the answer right now. I had a discussion with Lauren about it in her podcast. She doesn't seem to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody really knows. Yeah, I, I tell you what, if you're a Syracuse fan out there listening to this, like. We would love nothing more than for you to write in and give us your perspective. Like, I, I can't imagine that anybody is happy with where the program stands, but do you feel like it is a Dino issue? Do you feel like it's a Syracuse issue? Like, are you looking – would you want the, the school to spend the money they'd have to spend to make a move and, and, and move to somebody else? Like, is there something else you want to see? Like, I would really love to hear some perspective from somebody that's a little bit more in-depth, you know, in the know on this program. And so we might need to go get our boy Nate Mink. I was going to just here. say that. Yeah, I was going to say we might need to – place a phone call to Nate to see if he would be a guy willing to come on as soon as the season ends with schedule freeze up a little bit from a football standpoint that seems like that would be a good thing to do here in the next six weeks or so so yep stay tuned we'll uh, we'll see if we can make that happen yeah and if there's a coaching change we'll be having them on regardless that's right Louisville 30 Syracuse nothing Mike I will say this if you're a Syracuse fan and you're looking to be cheered up I have a solution for you <sighs> Are we going to go talk about Liberty NC State? No, we're going to talk about homefieldapparel.com, Mike. Oh, okay, nice. Homefieldapparel.com has some sweet, sweet Syracuse gear, among other schools. Uh, once again, we are partnered with Homefield Apparel. I really appreciate your all's support of them and us continued 
Uh, Syracuse, one of a number of schools from the ACC that they have available on there. All sorts of great vintage uh, wear on there. That's the word I've been looking for the last couple of weeks as we've, as we've been talking about home field, Mike, is vintage. Um, apparently old school is not like actual proper parlance for these kinds of things. So vintage is what we'll go with. Uh, some really cool Syracuse shirts here. One is the uh, pointing out the Carrier Dome, I guess also known as the Loud House. There's some inside joke, something or other here about Vita the Goat. I, it's a goat wearing a Go Syracuse sash. That's a pretty cool looking shirt. Uh, there's an orange shirt that says Syracuse in the, in the script with a 44 on there. I know that number means a lot around Syracuse parts. A lot of cool stuff on there, so definitely go check out Home Field for all of your Syracuse needs. Yeah, that was a hell of a transition because <laughs> I thought we were just going to talk about Liberty NC State because, hey, you know what would cheer Syracuse fans up? Uh, watching the Group of Five team that they lost to a few weeks ago actually lose their first game of the year. So that's what I thought the transition was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Home Field Apparel, use the uh, promo code GOACC at checkout, receive 20% off your first order. Absolutely. We've got several ACC schools on there already, uh, several more to come. And if there's a school that you're looking for on there that you don't see, ACC or otherwise, feel free to tag that school and at Home Field Apparel on Twitter and say, hey, what's up? Georgia, yeah. T- Georgia Tech, why are you not licensing your stuff here? Come on. Yeah, and, and our boy Connor will have the answer for you for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, lots of great stuff if you're, if you're looking for uh, Christmas gifts for folks in your life or if you're just looking to fill out your own Christmas list. Go yep. check that out. Or Hanukkah list, Festivus yep. list, whatever. Just use the promo code for us. Absolutely. Promo code GOACC at checkout for 20% off your first order. Homefieldapparel.com. Mike, as you mentioned, we should talk about <laughs> NC State beating Liberty. Uh, NC State 15, the number 21, Liberty Flames 14. I almost called them the Liberty Liberties because that's kind of what we're doing these days. This game was... <sighs> yeah was not really what you might call a sight for sore eyes. Um, I mean, do we want to take a look through the drive chart here? Because uh, we, we do, and it's not pretty. Yeah, so NC State starts with the ball in the first half, and from there everybody goes punt, punt, uh, or excuse me, miss field goal, punt, punt, turnover on downs, punt, punt, touchdown, interception, interception, touchdown, end of half. And then in the second half, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, safety, punt, 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 interception, touchdown, interception, punt, missed field goal, end of game. And that missed field goal at the very end was actually blocked by NC State. Uh, so not really a sight for sore eyes. Malik Willis, those three picks for the Flames. Uh, Bailey Hockman, 14 to 27, no touchdowns and a pick. Uh, he was He took a step back from what we've seen the last couple weeks from him. NC State, you know, good on them to get the win. Um, th- this was not an easy game to win, and, and you know to make that blocked field goal at the end, that was great. You know what? You won the game. Just just accept it and move on. <laughs> did NC State win the game, or did Liberty lose it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll go with yes on that. Uh, I mean, credit. So first of all, give credit to NC State's defense here. I mean, Liberty, who pretty effective offensively and especially you know with running the ball liberty runs the ball 38 times for 107 yards in this game less than three yards per carry um so credit to nc state for that they come up with three sacks in this game of malik willis uh willis who's really actually been really good for most of this year for liberty at quarterback uh finishes this game 13 to 32 for 172 two touchdowns in those three picks that he threw um so this game really, to me, feels a lot about NC State's defense stepping up and the offense just kind of barely doing enough. And by the way, 
NC State also overcame 14 penalties for 123 yards in this game. Whoops. Let's 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 clean that one up for next week. That's uh that's the way to get behind the sticks. That's right. That's right. That's what I'll say about that. Oh man, this was a gross game. Now, like you said, shout out to NC State for their defense. Uh I wish they ran the ball more, but a lot of the reason why they didn't is because, like you mentioned, they had those 14 penalties on the game. They were behind the sticks a lot. They threw the ball more than they wanted to. Bailey Hockman uh, definitely did not have his best game. Talk about poor QBRs, uh, 13.6 QBR for Hockman, which, I mean, hey, you're still better than the Syracuse quarterbacks, but if that's the bar, <laughs> the low bar to clear. And, yeah, 14.27 for 154 yards and interception. That was... <sighs> We've seen better out of Bailey Hockman. Mm-hmm. And the NC State rushing stats are actually pretty good. I mean, Zonovan Knight, 14 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns, average almost seven yards per carry. Ricky Person had 83 yards rushing, almost six yards per carry. So the the running game was pretty good for NC State. But, you know, when you're committing all those penalties, getting behind the sticks, you're throwing the ball more than you want to, and you're not doing it very efficiently, that's the key to keeping uh, a decent team in the game, which is what Liberty is despite losing – uh, this game by a point. Liberty played their worst game of the year by far. I think NC State's lucky that Liberty played their worst game of the year. Again, credit to NC State's defense. They had something to do with that, but Malik Willis, I mean, it's very uncharacteristic of him to go 13 of 32 passing, and if you play this game five times, I don't think he does that again. Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of how I feel about it. I- I'm curious. I-, I don't know if you ha- even have this up, but I'm curious what the postgame win expectancy was for NC State on this game. I don't have that. I can I can look it up and see if Bill posted that in particular. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I'm curious. Yeah, unfortunately, his uh, move to ESPN has come along with a significant uptick in difficulty to access his information produced. We'll say that. Which you you would think that the worldwide leader would make it easier for you to get that get to that information, but I agree with you. I always have trouble tracking it down on ESPN's website, which needs some work, but that's for mm-hmm. a different podcast. So I don't come out of this game while you're trying to look for that. I, I don't come out of this game really feeling all that terrible about Liberty. I come out of this game though feeling pretty good about the coaching job that Dave Kloss has done. This year, it's Dave Clawson. Doran. Sorry, Dave Doran has done this year. Name that Dave. Um, yeah, name that Dave. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> Dave Doran. Um, I mean, he's a guy who was on the hot seat coming into the season, rightfully so. And I, I think overall, when you consider everything that NC State's gone through from, you know, having Devin Leary out early in the year because of COVID and then having him come back and then having him break his leg and Bailey Hockman hadn't looked good early in the year comes in. He was better than expected. And it was a pleasant surprise for the fan base for NC state to see him play that well. And now you're to the point where you're winning close games against good opponents. Cause that's what Liberty is or good team. Mm-hmm. And you're winning these close games. You're doing what you need to do, getting the job done. NC state is six and three. And in my opinion, Dave Doran is one of those guys who should definitely be in the running for ACC coach of the year. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I, I was gonna say like NC State at this point through nine games is six and three. That's all the context I need. It I, to me right. at some point it doesn't really matter who who the six are, who the three are. Like this has been a an absolutely brilliant coaching job by Dave Doran. You know to to bring this program back from where it was last year, and with some of the questions that we've been asking for the last two years. I, I mean, 
as I've mentioned in the last week or two, like I am completely 100% off of the, I have questions about Dave Doran train. I, I'm good for now. Like this, this is, this has been really impressive to me. So absolute credit to him and that staff and credit to NC state. I mean, that way better than I thought they were going to be. And they feel like they are actually set up for success here over the next year or two as well. Well, don't you worry. I mean, I got a candidate or two uh, to replace Dave Doran on that list of guys you have questions about. So, hmm. Who could that be? Hmm. I don't know. Is it we call with, it a tease. Is it rhyme with Justin Fuente? Um, <clears throat> oh, uh, yeah, you know what? I think it does. <laughs> anything else here? Uh, no. I mean, Again, kind of a gross game. A like, brutal game to watch. Yeah, a brutal game to watch. But, buddy, I watched it. <laughs> At least the second half. I watched the second half. Because it was either that or watching Georgia somehow give up 24 points to Mississippi State, which deserves its own level of discussion. But Yeah, we'll that Scott and I had Rutgers-Michigan on, which was something oh, as well. I'll pray for you. Mm. Although, apparently, that game went into like triple overtime and got way off the rails. I mean, anytime you get to the point where you have to go for two in overtime, you know that you're probably several drinks in mm-hmm. and watching a game that went either really poorly for both teams, really well for both teams, and in this case for Michigan, ooh, buddy. <laughs> oh, the other thing I was going to mention in this game was that uh, NC State was the beneficiary of a safety at one point in the second half. In the third quarter, actually, they punted and downed it on the three-yard line, and Liberty first play lines up in the shotgun and then hands the ball off running horizontally. And look, Mike, when you do that – you deserve whatever safety you get. Like that, that's coming your way, and you earned every bit of it. If you're not immediately coming out at the end zone when you're backed up in the shadow of your own goalposts, we can't help you. You deserve everything coming your way. Absolutely, absolutely. So good on NC State for uh, taking advantage there. And shout out to them on that blocked field goal because I don't mm-hmm. think we mentioned we we did mention that that last field goal was blocked in the drive summary, but that was a huge play. Yep. <laughs> so that was that sealed the game for the Wolfpack. So. Yeah. Way to make a play at the end. Huge, huge job coming up big there at the very end. Yep. NC State 15, the number 21 Liberty Flames 14, uh, Wolfpack 6-3. and three. Virginia 55, the Abilene Christian Wildcats 15. Um, this this was never really, really a game, Mike. Um, I mean, it, it took a couple drives for Virginia's offense to get going. Yep. But after it did, I mean, it was it was over in a hurry. Yeah, at least that's what the drive chart tells me because I didn't watch a minute of this game. I think this is like a pay-per-view game. <laughs> I mean, it, it might have been for all I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this yeah. is one of those deals where it's like uh, they had that random Hawaii game on on Facebook last year that Scott and I, you know, walked, watched at 2 a.m. because <laughs> we had some action on it. We were like, oh, this is kicking off now. Great. Of course. Excellent. Of course. So uh, good day for Brian Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, it looks really good. Like I, I could sit here and tell you that I, I spent my afternoon today on Sunday going back and rewatching the all twenty-two of this game to really break down in depth the action that went on in here. Oh yeah, I, I could tell you that, but the reason I'm not going to is because that would be a lie. Uh, that is a lie. I, I didn't watch a second of this game, but from what I can tell, I mean, again, Virginia, the first couple drives, it was a turnover on downs and then a punt, and from there it was touchdown, 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 touchdown. Touchdown, touchdown, and they had a 42-7 lead. What Most was, UVA fans probably didn't even watch this, Joey. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't Good blame play. them for turning it off yeah. at halftime. Um, 
Virginia did – it was interesting because the touchdown they gave up to Abilene Christian in the first half, uh, Abilene Christian scored with about 30 seconds to go until halftime. Virginia came out and scored a touchdown in those 30 seconds. So credit to them for, for getting the, uh, the old hurry up going, making that yep. happen. Well done. But that's all I got here. I was going to say I, I really don't have much to add. They Sweet. won by 40 against a terrible football team. Good job, Virginia. 55 yep. – 15 Virginia the winners over Abilene Christian which brings us Mike to the main event uh Pittsburgh 47 your Virginia Tech Hokies 14 and okay let's let's start here and let's get this out of the way uh good job Pittsburgh good performance yes Kenny Pickett I mean at least the stat line and the performance yeah like some of the best that we've seen from him (sighs) yes some of the best we've seen from him, Pittsburgh ran the ball quite effectively, which is something that we haven't really gotten used to here in recent years. So credit mm-hmm. to the Panthers for that. Uh, huge day for DJ Turner, 15 catches for 184 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, a couple sacks for the Pitt defense. Overall, a, a really good day for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was without... Uh, five offensive starters due to COVID, including leading receiver Jordan Addison in this football game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had their best game of the season offensively. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they scored 47 points. They haven't scored more than, what, 30 against an ACC team so far? Uh, that is correct. 41 against Florida State. But again, that was a there was a defensive uh, score yes. in there. You know, whatever. Yep. So anyways, yeah. Barely, barely got over 30 offensively in that game. Yep. So, good game for Pittsburgh. We can agree. We can. Okay. How about Virginia Tech? How they do, Mike? Quite poorly. Yeah, not good. <clears throat> Quite poorly. Uh, all right. Let's start. Let's start here and clean this up. So, Kenny Pickett doesn't throw for four hundred yards on a lot of people. <laughs> I'm like damn near anyone. Uh, and the path for Pittsburgh to win this football game in a higher scoring affair would have been to either ride Kenny Pickett or to run the ball. Well, lucky for Pittsburgh, they did both. (laughs) This is the worst rushing offense in the ACC entering this game uh, on a yards per play basis. Uh, Pittsburgh ran for 152 yards, averaging 4.8 yards per carry and three scores. So that is the single biggest indictment on Virginia Tech in this football game is the inability to stop Pittsburgh's rushing attack. I mm-hmm. can't believe I'm saying that. Kenny Pickett, 404 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Great game. He played well. Yep. played very well, and they didn't miss Jordan Addison at all because they didn't play a very good defense. <laughs> so let's call that what it is. Now, mm-hmm. I don't have... On the game in particular, I have less actual thoughts on, on the game itself from Virginia Tech standpoint because a lot of my thoughts that we're going to get into here in a moment are programmatic in nature. Yep. The one thing I will say is a lot of the issues that plagued Virginia Tech in this football game are issues that have plagued them the entire year. Mm-hmm. They were wildly inconsistent on offense. Uh, they Throwing the football... The stats look good for Hendon Hooker. There were a couple chunk plays in there. But the coaching staff does not trust Hendon Hooker to throw the ball down the field consistently enough to where 
when they play against a good defense, they can stop the run. They're going to have any level of success. Yep. So what it comes down to for me is the coaching staff not having enough trust in the personnel. Go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, it was kind of something that I, I mentioned on the preview was it doesn't matter the fact that Pittsburgh is, you know, one of the best run defenses in the country. They're going to try to run the ball about 40 times and they got to 37. Um, yeah. Now they, they did get a few more yards and I thought they might. And, and I think a lot of those came towards the very end of the game. Cause I do remember looking at one point and it was like, they were at like 31, 32 carries for like 95 yards or something like right. that. Yep. So got some chunks there at the very end, but I, <laughs> it was kind of exactly what we thought it was going to be. It's like, w- there's a clear path to winning this game and you chose a different one. <laughs> like, yeah, what, I, what on earth? What are we doing? Yeah, you mentioned tech getting some chunks there at the end. I, I also had some chunks at the end <laughs> by watching this game. <laughs> so, oh man. Uh, Trey Turner. Yeah. Nailed it. Trey Turner did not play much of the second half. He was really good when he was in the first half. He had a 55 yard catch for a touchdown. That was awesome. Opted out at halftime. Uh, well, most, most of the fan base did. So he could have, <laughs> he could have gone, you know, gotten changed go have some beers he's of age mm-hmm. um i don't know maybe maybe he'll opt out and go have some beer soon who knows i don't know stay tuned for <laughs> Who's that to say who is to say uh all right so virginia tech is absolutely atrocious this is a terrible football team i'm not going to mince words on this this is a horrible football team they're poorly coached offensively and defensively we can chalk some of it up to COVID. For example, the defensive scheme change for Justin Hamilton. It was an uphill battle to begin with, but this team can't tackle. It's not lined up. At, at some point, you got to blame the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And this team has not been well coached basically since game two or three of the year. Um, this has been a really poor performance uh, throughout the better part of the last month. Virginia Tech has lost four out of its last five games. Uh, a loss to Liberty. Uh, was when most of the fi- remaining members of the fan base were lost. The rest of them were lost on Saturday when a mediocre Pittsburgh team put up 556 yards of offense and 47 points. This is unacceptable. It's a fireable offense. Uh, they have a huge buyout to pay Justin Fuente. I think they'll find the money, Joey. And part of that's opinion, and part of that is kind of what is circulating. So mm-hmm. I will leave that right there. And if you have any questions, let me know, because <laughs> we can take this conversation here in a number of different directions. Yeah, I, I, I will say this. I I kind of disagree at the notion that this is an objectively terrible football team. I, I, I don't think that terrible is the right word. I think disappointing is the right word. Like if they were really terrible, you know, they wouldn't have beaten a snot out of NC State earlier in the year. They wouldn't have hung with UNC like. They have talent. Yeah, they like, do have talent. They're not they're like a poorly coached team. Yeah, they're they're poorly coached. I think they're probably there's a there's a mentally soft aspect to this. Um, you know, of uh, especially the defense in the in the back half of this game kind of seems like they started to quit. Like, and you've seen this from a few teams this year, but you know, especially defenses where they they see that the offense isn't going to help them. You just you see a lot of quit in them. Of like, if those guys aren't going to hold up their end of the bargain, like why would I bust my ass for them? Like you know, and. Yeah. Not not great. Um, this is 2018 all over again, except with the same guys who are two years older. There yep. were a lot of freshmen on that 2018 team, especially on defense. Remember, they had all those starters go to the NFL, Tremaine and Terrell Edmonds um, among them, right? A lot of guys left for the league. So 2018 defensively, things took a sizable step back because of how many freshmen were playing on that side of the football. 
And what we said at the time was that a couple of years down the line, this unit would be better. Now, Bud Foster retired. They had a coordinator change. A lot of stuff has transpired since then. But we knew that there was talent on the field that would get better as the years went on. There is still the same talent on the field. They have a talented group. That's not the issue. The issue is that they're poorly coached, and this has elements of 2018 towards the end of the year where there is some quit in the Virginia Tech defense. Mm-hmm. There's not really a ton of quit, I think, on the larger the larger team. I, I think the team still plays hard. I don't think that's the issue. I don't, just don't think they play well. I don't think they're prepared. I don't think the game plan's any good on either side of the football. I don't think the staff trusts their players, which at some point, it's an indictment on the staff because mm-hmm. you recruited these guys. Yeah, so this is your five. It, this is your it, team. This is your program, your, your roster. Team. Yep. This is your team, your program, your roster. And you don't trust even your best players in a situation where they can be successful. Mm-hmm. When you are running the football on third and six, when you're down a touchdown against Miami, or you're trying to go down to win the game against Liberty, or you're trying to, when you are running the football on third and six, when you need to throw it to bring up a fourth and manageable, that is a coaching problem. That is not a Hendon Hooker problem. That's not a receiver separating problem. That's not even an offensive line problem. That is a coaching problem. Mm-hmm. Third and six is a manageable down in distance. You should be able to pick that up. If you, as an offensive coordinator, don't believe that your team can, can convert a third and medium situation on a consistent basis, you should not be calling the plays. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have anything on your, on your play sheet for third and six, <laughs> you might not be a very good coordinator. Like, so yeah. So in the, in the post game availability, this was interesting. So there was a question asked by Mike Barber of the Richmond times dispatch. He's been on the beat for Virginia and Virginia tech forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he covers teams in the Commonwealth does a really nice job um, in the, in the running for sports writer of the year. Just he's really good at his job. Anyway, he asked a question to Justin Fuente because Tech's going into a bye next week, and then they got Clemson. He asked a question, would you consider becoming the play caller in the bye week and making a change there because the offense is just abysmal right mm-hmm. now, just has not been very good for about a month. And that, and that little response, tag on the end, by the way, was was just kind of added in. He didn't include that as part of his question. <laughs> like it, right. it was Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. It was just, yeah. would you consider making this change? Yes, right. Would you consider making the change? Fuente bitterly says, nope, that's absolutely ludicrous. Next question. Dude, look, Justin, brother, I I, I don't appreciate that kind of response. I, I just got to tell you that. Like, you're getting neither paid. did the fan base, Joey. You're getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars a year to be able to answer that question at, at minimum in a respectful way and to say, you know what? No, I, I believe in our process. I believe in our game plan. You know, I, I've worked for a long time with, with Brad and I believe in him and you know, we, we just got to, we just got to coach him better on the, on the game day or something like that. When your answer yep. is how dare you ask me that question and you're already kind of, you know, in the, uh, in the crosshairs of, of the fan base a little bit. Dude, not a good look. Not a good he, look. He has Fuente is so out of touch with the fan base at this, and maybe it was always the case that he was this out of touch with the fan base that it doesn't even matter what he says in post game availability. 
like the fan base is going to eviscerate him and he might not even pay attention to it. That's how bad it is. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds ridiculous in era of social media and, and all this. He doesn't, he's totally tone deaf. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I, I believe the inability to adapt and the inability to change is what is ultimately going to lead to his downfall at Virginia Tech, whether that's this week, you know, whether that's in a month when the buyout goes down a little bit, whether that's in a year from now, a a change is going to be made. And I think one of the big reasons why we're going to look back on the, one of many reasons, but I think the the overarching reason in, in my mind, why this is going to be looked at as a failed tenure for Justin Fuente and Blacksburg is because he was unwilling to adapt and unwilling to change when the going got tough. He never made the tough decision with his guys, his coaching staff. Mm -hmm. And I I wrote about this today, Joey, but really good article, by the way. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Highly recommend Um, that even non Virginia tech people go, go read this and check it out. I I appreciate that. One, one of the points that I made in that article, for those of you who didn't read it, who don't care to read because you just rather listen to us, that's fine too. I (laughs) do whatever you need to do. Um, one of the points I made in that article was that when Notre Dame went four and eight in 2016, they were the laughing stock of college football. Instead of turning around and saying, I'm sticking with my coaching staff, Brian Kelly made wholesale changes with guys that he had coached with for a long time. He changed the offensive coordinator. He changed the defensive coordinator. He changed various assistants and support staff. And in my mind, that is a big reason why Notre Dame is in this spot today where they're coming off of a Clemson win. Um, they, they beat BC. They're 8-0. They're number two in the country. And they are being looked at as a legitimate college football playoff team. Mm-hmm. Not the kind that we saw a couple years ago when they were in the playoff and got dogged by Clemson in that football game when one of their defensive backs, goes, Julian Love, goes out of the game. This is a different Notre Dame football team. And the groundwork for taking the next step in their program, albeit at a much different level because of how successful Kelly's been as a coach, the groundwork for that was laid in 2016 when they went 4-8 and eight and he knew changes needed to be made. What have we seen out of Justin Fuente in the last three years that gives you any sort of hope that he understands the stakes of his head coaching job in Blacksburg? There is nothing that I've seen that suggests that he knows or he's even aware of what he is doing to himself. He is sabotaging his own coaching job by the refusal to change coordinators or the refusal to, to hire coordinators. Some of that was taken out of his hands, right? They went after Barry Odom and his hand was forced. Look, Bud Foster retires. Now he's in a spot where he's got to hire a defensive coordinator. They tried to get Barry Odom, former defensive coordinator from Missouri. Now he's at Arkansas coaching a very good defense, mm-hmm. by the way. And he's a renowned defensive coordinator. Would have been a great guy to step in and fill in for Bud Foster. He had experience. He understood what it took. He was a good recruiter. Former head coach. Former head coach as well. But Virginia Tech, instead, they let that opportunity slide away. They didn't pay Barry Odom the money that was needed to get him to Blacksburg. And instead, they hired Justin Hamilton, a former player under Frank Beamer, a career assistant who had never been a coordinator before. Mm -hmm. He wanted to implement a scheme change. And he's an up-and-coming coach. and Everybody speaks glowingly of him. I'm sure he'll have a nice coaching career wherever he ends up because it won't be at Virginia Tech, unfortunately. I'm sure he'll have a nice career later on. But he is not the guy that you tie your boat to when you are coming off of two years where you went six and seven, worst program year since 92, eight and five last year, where you lose to you lose to Duke, 
whole program is questioning how, you know, your, your willingness to coach and your ability to adapt. And then you kind of have this up and down year. You go eight and five, the defense is kind of up and down. And you go into the new year where you know you have to win, pandemic or not. You know you got to start winning football games. And you hire a guy who's never been a defensive coordinator before. And I think Justin Fuente, at the end of the day, he's hired too many coordinators and coaches and support staff. He's hired too many guys based on potential and not enough guys based on actual resume and staying power and experience. I think that's ultimately going to lead to his downfall in Blacksburg. One more point I want to make about the offensive coordinator, Brad Cornelson is a top 20 offense. Virginia Tech's a top 20 offense in major statistical categories. They're a very flawed offense. When Khalil Herbert does not run the football well, this offense is done. The book is out on Virginia Tech. When they can't run the football, they can't move the ball consistently enough to win any game, any game, um, whether it's against a bad team, a mediocre team, you name it. And Cornelson's, uh, Cornelson was held on to for too long, in my opinion. And Tech had some promising performances on offense that led to him being kept around. And I have wavered on this a bunch. I really have. I've wavered on this. I've said that, you know, fan base is being too harsh on Cornelson and, you know, offensive coordinator always gets a bad rap. And I have personally wavered on this, but I have always acknowledged that there are things that are done well, and there are things that are not done well. And the problem that Virginia tech has at this point is the margin for error is gone. It's not even thin anymore. It's gone. Yep. And you can't have this offensive coordinator continue to torpedo the program the way that he has. Yeah. And I don't know what happens now, Joey. Um, Fuente is owed twelve and a half million dollars if he as a buyout if he's fired before December fifteenth. After December fifteenth of this year, that number goes down to ten million. This is an athletic department that's going to likely be at worst fifty million dollars in the hole this year due to COVID. It could get a little bit better if some folks were furloughed and stuff like that. But I know Whit Babcock does not want to do that. He doesn't want people to be out of work, which is an admirable admirable thing right? good on good on your wit yeah so he doesn't want people to be out of work he'd rather incur a larger revenue loss and have people keep their jobs which i appreciate a lot about him but what i what i wonder is that even at 10 million which is a huge huge buyout number forget the 12 and a half million the 10 million huge buyout number will virginia tech find the money to pay it I didn't think the answer to that in 2020 was yes, because that is such a huge number. But and now, in this year in particular, and in this year in particular, I mean, COVID aside, it's a huge number. And even with COVID now, that only further complicates things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that they would pay this buyout, Joey, unless the program hit rock bottom in the final three games of the year. I did not expect, and and you know this because this was my pick of the week. My pick of the week was Virginia Tech. I did not expect, lock it up. Please. (laughs) Anyways, please continue. I did not expect, (laughs) yes, I did not expect Virginia Tech to lose this football game. Not only did they lose, they lost 47 to 14. And this is rock bottom, Joey. And Clemson comes to town in two weeks, and then Tech has UVA at the end of the year at home as well. They're not going to be favored in either one of those two football games. And I think Tech could potentially now lose both of those games. And at four and seven, I think they'll pull the trigger. 
So, so here's my here's my only question, Mike, and, and kind of the thing that's coming to mind here is, like, you you can look at some of these games as as binary, as a win or a loss, but I don't I don't get the impression that you know a loss to Pittsburgh that in and of itself is not really kind of what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is not the what, but the how. It's the how these games are being lost. And so my, my question is, you know, if let's say that Virginia Tech blocks that field goal against Liberty, runs it back in, scores, and wins the game. And let's say that, you know, at some point somebody slips a couple tackles against Miami and goes in and scores a late touchdown and they win that game. Are, are we really legitimately having different conversations here? off of, you know, one play here or there that completely turned the the result of these games? Or or are yes. we still having the same conversation because of, you know, again, of the thousands of plays that they've run on offense and defense this year, most of them have ended up the way that they have. The conversation is when, not if, right? Okay. And, and this is... <sighs> The, the program coming into the season was in a precarious position because of how up and down the last year, two years have been, mm-hmm. right? And fans were calling for the buyout after 2018, which was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Fuente just signed an extension. It was a bad year. Fans were calling for the buyout then. I mean, in hindsight, look, I mean... <laughs> It, on no planet were they going to pay a fifteen million. It was fifteen million at the time. It, it, on no planet were they ever going to pay that. But I mean, long term, they're you know looking at the program, the long term prognosis. I mean, they're going to end up being right that Fuente wasn't the guy. Yeah. But I mean, Tech was never going to pay that buyout, and Tech might still not even pay that buyout. I tweeted this um, this morning, Sunday morning. I said, look, here's how I, I think it could play out, right? This is a situation. There are Tech fans out there that are like, oh, my God, Tech's going to miss a bowl game. And uh, by the way, you don't need six wins to go to a bowl game this year. So there, there are a lot of bowl, bowl committees out there that would love to have Virginia Tech in their, in their football game. Yeah, right? you need to be able to sell it's a couple a of tickets lower the and, bowls. and that. Like, that's, that's all. Right, <laughs> right. And some merch, right. So... This is the way I see it potentially playing out. There, there are a couple things, re- regardless of what I feel. The, what I personally feel is that Virginia Tech should move on from Justin Fuente and find the money for the buyout. And I was not in that camp. And I try not to be like a guy who drastically pulls the trigger. As an alum, I think you need to do it. Now, is it the smartest thing to do financially? No, but neither is just completely losing the entire fan base, which is kind of where things are at now. So. Yeah, recruiting's recruiting's bad. It's not getting any better from a fan base standpoint. You may as well make the change and then just live with the results because it's not going to get much better, and it could only get worse anyway. Yep. Here's how I think it could play out: Virginia Tech gets the doors blown off of them by Clemson in two weeks, right? Regardless of that, that's going to happen in every scenario here. Virginia Tech beats UVA. Last game of the season. Let's just play it out. Mm-hmm. At that point, Virginia Tech is five and six, right? So this is the same position Virginia Tech was in in 2018 when they had to reschedule the Marshall game to go to a bowl game. That's right. Now that's not going to happen this year because every team's playing 11 games. And this scenario, all 11 games are played. Tech finishes the year five and six. At five and six, Virginia Tech's going to a bowl game. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah, they're probably going to a bowl game, right? Maybe um, you win that game. Maybe you win that game. So let's call it six and six. Let's say they go to because there's again no win requirement this year to go to a bowl game. The NCAA said, let's say Virginia Tech accepts an invitation to go to name that bowl game, the Gasparilla Motors, you know, Lawnmower Bowl or whatever. Say they go there and they play, I don't know, Tulane or a team, a, a losable game. But let's say Justin Fuente wins that football game, sure. right? Virginia Tech finishes the year six and six with a bowl win in a pandemic. Are they firing the coach? My answer is no. Yeah. Now, in that scenario, they're absolutely firing Brad Cornelson because no matter what happens to Justin Fuente or otherwise, they need to fire Brad Cornelson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to move um, on there. You got to move on. And whether Fuente wants to or not, I know he doesn't want to do that, but his hand's going to be forced because Witt is going to say, we literally need to change something before we change your job status. Sure. <laughs> so in that scenario, I think the coordinator gets fired. I think some changes are made on defense. I think there's potential for another defensive coordinator to be brought in and to demote Justin Hamilton. I think mm-hmm. that's on the table. Yep. I think because look, the way and people are going to be like, oh my God, Justin Hamilton is his first year. Why would they demote him as defensive coordinator? Look, if Justin Fuente gets fired, Hamilton's not the coordinator anyway. He's going out the door with the staff. Yep. So what does is, what is Whit Babcock care? He doesn't give a shit. He's just going <laughs> to say, you're out, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so that scenario is there. The other scenario is that it totally bottoms out and they just say bye to Fuente. And then the, the third scenario is that Tech loses to Clemson, beats UVA, doesn't go to a bowl game, right? Or let's say they go to a bowl game and lose, and then it's like five and seven. Uh, and let's say Witt still makes a change, right? Fires mm-hmm. Fuente. I think that's on the table, too. The, the bottom line is that there are no good scenarios for Virginia Tech. This is worst case. This is, you are at worst case scenario with the staff and with the state of the program and with a buyout that has no offset language, I learned today, which means, for, for those of you who don't know what offset language is, that means that if Fuente were to have taken the Baylor job, for example, uh, the, the buyout would have dropped significantly. And if Fuente were to be fired tomorrow and then took another job, head coaching job elsewhere, the buyout would also be lowered significantly. So it's him leaving for a new job or him being fired and finding a new job, the buyout would be lowered. Well, Tech's hands are tied on that. They're paying the buyout regardless. Yeah, they, they get no help on that. Yeah. The, the, the last thing I wanted to bring up on this, Mike, and it was something that kind of occurred to me here, just almost as we've been recording, is we've talked in, in the last year or so about you know, as mentioned, he, he interviewed for the Baylor job. The the prevailing kind of assumption here, at least you know, between us girls, has been that he probably is looking at, you know, this this team this year is pro is set up to be a really good team. And he, and with the way that he's been recruiting and all this stuff, is that he is setting himself up that he is gonna cut and run and go take a job somewhere closer to home, you know, in the in the Big Twelve country, basically. Texas, Oklahoma, you know, something like that. Um, and it's going to leave Virginia Tech in a bit of a spot. What's occurred to me here is that Justin Fuente has kind of painted himself into a corner here because, yes. because not only are you looking at, well, either Virginia Tech has to pay the buyout, and at least there's that, but if they decide that they can't afford that, 
Now you're staring down the barrel of having another team next year that is all of a sudden even more devoid of talent because you haven't recruited well. Or you're looking at trying to get a job and trying to use this last two co- two years of, of results as your resume. Like, it, it, I, I don't really know what, you know what, what's what's worse for him, but it's it's like you really needed to use this as a good year to you know kind of put yourself on a pedestal to some degree to to use as an advertisement to actually parlay this into another really good job and. it's clear that that has kind of fallen apart and crumbled before his eyes here over the last month. Yeah. And and I don't know, and I'm not privy to this because there's been, there's been numerous stories about how, you know, the, the exact chronology and how the Baylor situation went down and there are different accounts of it, but there is the thought out there that Fuente went and, took the interview at Baylor with intention of taking the position because why, well, why else would you interview for a job? But wait, there's a prevailing wisdom. They went with intention to take the job and then realized it wasn't going to work and then said, Oh, I'm back in Blacksburg. And I was really just going to, you know, evaluate the facilities and what we need to do is a football program. See some old friends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. See, yeah it, right. So there's that thought. And then there's a the thought also that Baylor interviewed him and didn't want him. Which, I mean, Hmm. who's to say? But I think it would have been in Fuente's best interest if he made that work at Baylor. That's Mm -hmm. that's what I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, regardless of whether or not it was his fault or not, it would have been nice for him in particular to make that work at Baylor because what he's got right now for Gene Tech is far worse. This is... How do do you dig yourself out of this? I mean, he's burned burned bridges in state recruiting. He's failed to establish a secondary pipeline outside of Virginia. Like, I don't, I don't know how you come back from this, right? Like no high school coaches trust him in Virginia, which is where Virginia tech has had their most success recruiting over the years with Beamer. And I just don't know how you recover. I mean, the fan base, the fan base is totally out on you. I mean, I think a fresh start is just needed for all involved. And like, what's the, What's the bigger cost? Is is the bigger cost paying that massive buyout of ten million? Uh, you know, over or the not course of that buyout, or not paying that buyout and bottoming out even more. It's like okay, yeah. great, I saved like because that buyout goes down again to like I believe it's like eight and a half or eight point two five million. Um, you know, December twenty fifth or December fifteenth next year, twenty twenty one, it goes down again. So it's like okay, like was that two million worth another mediocre year on the field and more bad recruiting? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, just, I think if you're Fuente, I think you sleep really well at night knowing that you've got a $10 million parachute. And that's that's kind of the long and short of it. Like, this this isn't going to get better. It, it's not. Like, as you've mentioned, I mean, with the recruiting and what it's been, like, your freshmen and sophomores are, are not going to all of a sudden make this back into a 9 or 10 win program next year. Right. I mean, most of those freshmen and sophomores are going to play like freshmen and sophomores their entire career because, honestly, they weren't very good high school prospects. Yeah. And there will be a guy or two. One of them has been Dorian Strong, who's played. We talked about him on this podcast. He's been good this year for Tech. He was hurt yesterday, but he's been good for Tech, and he has a bright future. But he was a three-star guy. Like, there, there, are, some, there are some guys who will, they'll hit on, right, from these poor recruiting classes, but there's a lot of guys who won't be any good. Yeah. Yeah. You, so some, somehow I don't feel like you signed a class of 22 three stars who are all diamonds in the rough. Um, 
you might have had a couple of diamonds in the rough in there, but <laughs> some members of the fan base. Yeah, I but you know, I was gonna say some members of the fan base seem to think so. Mike, I watched Paul Johnson's recruiting classes for like eleven or twelve years. Like, look, I can tell myself that till the cows come home that all these three star linemen and linebackers and wide receivers and whatever are all diamonds in the rough. But at the end of the day, uh, they you know most of them just have their limitations, and that's that's fine. But yeah, no, I, I don't see this getting a whole lot better. Um, the, the one thing I was going to bring up here, too, is, and it was kind of kind of tie back a little bit to the Syracuse discussion that we had earlier, and this is my fully last thing before we get into some awards and some actual fun stuff, is, you know, as I think through these jobs, and, and especially just even just from the ACC perspective, and I, I list them all 1 through 14 uh, in the conference of what you might call, like, the easiest job, you know, where is it the easiest to have success, Number 14 being, you know, the toughest job. Like, I don't know how anybody goes in there and, and, and wins. Virginia Tech is not the easiest job in the conference. Like, there's there's, nope. a, there's a couple of them, you know, that I would just off the bat. I mean, I would say Miami, Florida State, Clemson are probably you, you're probably your three easiest jobs. Um, and, there, yeah, there's a little bit of a money thing at times at Miami and Florida State. But, like, being in the state of Florida, like – a lot of a lot of easy stuff. So so not one of the three or four easiest jobs I would say, but I would still put Virginia Tech like in the top half or so. Like there's a pretty clear path to success. There's a pretty clear way to succeed at that job and it has a lot to do with recruiting well in the state of Virginia, recruiting well in North Carolina, recruiting well in the DMV area, like in in DC and all that. And you don't have to do anything all that particularly creative or, or innovative necessarily like you can get some pretty good players from those areas like this is this is a job that is very doable whereas you know something like a Syracuse as we've mentioned that is a tough job that is one of the probably the four hardest right. jobs in the conference two of the other ones are Duke and Wake Forest which are tough for kind of some different reasons but you know this Virginia Tech job, like this, is workable if somebody comes in and has the right approach. And it's not like this is some mis- mystery of an approach either. Like what Frank Beamer was doing wasn't magic. <laughs> like there's a clear roadmap here. You just got to follow it. And and Fuente yeah. has not been following it, as you've mentioned. Agree. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And and the the thing that I think is most frustrating is that like the fan base, not the fan base. There there the fan base has been justifiably angry but the recruiting staff has been like oh well if you're not with us you know then go take a hike to kids in virginia it's like there are a lot of coaches in the state that have really good football programs that are sending kids to ohio state and penn state and florida and clemson and and let's not even talk about the four and five star guys joey let's talk about even just like the mid to high three stars and the low tier four stars like Virginia Tech's bread and butter over the years. And they've, they've gotten some five-star guys. They've, you know, the, the Fuller brothers are really good. And you know, they've had good running backs and receivers have been high four-star guys, but let's talk about just like the hot mid to high end three stars and the low tier four stars, the bread and butter of the Virginia Tech program for so long. Those guys don't want to come to Blacksburg anymore because they don't have the relationship with the football program anymore. Right. The, the coaches, who advocate for these kids. In a lot of cases, they are the father figures for a lot of these kids, right? These football coaches at the high school level. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a lot of cases um, in the Tidewater area of Virginia and the Richmond area where 
I mean, you read like two or three stories a year about how influential a coach has been on a kid's recruitment and how he's been a father figure and a guy who's been leading the player down the right path. He's not going to send a guy to Blacksburg to play for a coach that he doesn't trust, right? High school coaches just aren't going to do that. And that has been the, a, a large indictment for Fuente on the recruiting trail. They just haven't established relationships well enough in state or otherwise. And, and going to Texas to try to establish this pipeline of like four-star players, that's a really fun idea if you're also recruiting well in state. Mm-hmm. Hell, if you're recruiting well in the state of Virginia, go to the moon to get good players. The bottom line is that I don't care where you're recruiting kids from. You just got to get them in the boat. And Tech hasn't been able to do that consistently enough. They've signed one composite four-star player in the last two recruiting cycles. That's not good enough. That's not... Virginia Tech, a lot of fans want Virginia Tech to be a top 20 recruiting program. They've never been that. But I think a lot of fans that are reasonable would like Tech to at least get get back to being a top 30 recruiting class, which... I mean, come on, that's doable. They've been doing that forever. But they haven't been doing doable. it consistent. But they haven't been doing that consistently under this coaching staff, and that's a that's a huge indictment as well. Yep. So we will uh, we'll see where it goes from here, Mike, with Virginia Tech, and obviously we'll keep you updated. And of course, it is it is nice that one of the hosts here is very very closely tied in with the program and has a lot of insight, and uh, frankly, probably a little bit more insight than he truly lets on sometimes. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The, the long and short of it here, it, it's not going well in Blacksburg, and it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. And it's, at some point, these things are all going to come to a head, and something's going to have to happen here. Oh, yeah. And uh, by the way, opt-outs are coming. They have a bye week, and then Clemson, a lot of these kids are going to go home for Thanksgiving, and they're not going to come back. So there's mm. going to be opt-outs. There's going to be transfers. There are a lot of kids who no longer believe in this coaching staff. I will say that on the record right here on this podcast. I remembered earlier this afternoon, too, by the way, that it was, what was it, before the 2019 season, there was the article that came out um, from, I believe it was from Sports Illustrated. Ross Dellinger. Yep. Ross Dellinger talking about the culture here and about how, like, Fuente was completely oblivious to the idea that, like, the players didn't talk to each other in the locker room and, like, didn't like each other. And, I mean, just ever since then, I've, I've had my questions, and I, I don't understand how a coach can be that like oblivious to what's going on with his team or whatever. I mean, it's it Joey, hasn't gotten better it, since then. Joey, it seemed shocking at the time when you were like, how could you, how could you not know? But considering how tone deaf he is and his inability to establish relationships, this might just be who he is. Yeah. That's on the table. Yep. Pittsburgh 47, Virginia tech 14. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, that was, that was our game recap. We'll finish that up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you want to give out some awards? Do some fun stuff for uh, once, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's give us some awards. The Go ACC moment of the week, Mike. <laughs> and, you know, not to harp on this game too much, but uh, in the third quarter, we had a nice little sequence from the Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh game. Uh, the Hokies drive down the field. They've got the ball second and goal on the one-yard line, Mike. They got one yard, and then they, they, they can get six points from that. And then what happened? <sighs> this was really, really bad. Okay, second possession in the second half for Virginia Tech. Like Joey mentioned, the Hokies get all the way down. They get first and goal at the four. Jalen Holston up the middle, three yards. Second goal from the one. Jalen Holston, no gain. They're running right into the teeth of a really good Pittsburgh front. From the shotgun, I believe. From the shotgun, no less. Third and goal from the one. Hendon Hooker incomplete pass to Khalil Herbert. So that didn't work out. They tried to throw, it didn't work. Fourth and goal from the one. They are in shotgun again, Joey. 
Hmm. Um, Handed Hooker carried it and went nowhere. Stopped on the one. But that wasn't even the worst part of it, Joey. You want to hear what the worst part of it was? Oh, please. Please go on. The fact that Pittsburgh is in the shadow of their own goalpost. They go four plays, 99 yards, and a minute and 12 seconds. Let me read off the four plays to you real quick. Sure. Kenny Pickett, incomplete pass, shock to shock Louis. And they also had a penalty, an eligible downfield pass. That penalty was declined. Second and 10 from their own one. Uh, Kenny Pickett passed to DJ Turner, 10 yards. DJ Turner, like we said, huge day. That wasn't the biggest play of the day, though. Only had a 10-yard game there. Pittsburgh has first down uh, at the 11-yard line, their own 11. A.J. Davis, 25-yard run to the pit 36 for a first down. And the drive capper, Joey, the fourth play of the drive from their own 36-yard line. Kenny Pickett completes a pass to D.J. Turner for 64 yards and a touchdown. So that was one of his biggest plays of the game. Not only does Virginia Tech not score when they're at the goal line, they go from shotgun on three consecutive, four consecutive plays and not score. Mm-hmm. They then allow 99 yards in four plays. This is the epitome of the Virginia Tech football program in 2020. I, I, I don't know how you've pulled your face out of your hands from watching that sequence just go down. Like, I mean, I just, I, I might have put my palm straight through my nose watching that whole sequence. So go ACC to that for Virginia Tech. Uh, All you can do is laugh. Yeah, it's a provincial crime. Uh, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award for the week goes to, I mean, just the Syracuse offense. Um, you, you had seven first downs. You had 137 total yards. One for 10 on third down. 0 for 2 fourth down. Three turnovers. I I mean, you tried to play offense, Syracuse. And it, it, you tried it, to be functional. It went poorly. It went real poorly. Yeah, you tried to be functional. You tried. Uh, yeah, they, they are... Uh a very bad offense, Joey. They are. Absolutely. Uh, and they actually, we have a um, a late-breaking honorary Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award of the Week, and it goes to the Bowling Green team, uh, the the Bowling Green Falcons. Mike, uh, what exactly went on there? Oh, it's not good for Scott Leffler and Brian Van Gorder. It's not good. Now, it's not getting better. <laughs> Yeah, I actually asked Joe. I asked Joey. I asked Scott last night. I said, um, "Would a Brian Van Gorder defense look this bad at Virginia Tech?" And I won't let you know what the answer to that was. You want to find out? Uh, yeah. Nope. <laughs> uh, here's a back to our original point. Here is a statement from the Bowling Green Athletic Department. Standards and expectations for continued participation in the Bowling Green football program are high. Coach Leffler is holding players accountable to those standards and expectations. So, Joey, what is that alluding to here? Oh, I know. Players missing workouts. uh, In a manner of speaking, (laughs) as many as 16 Bowling Green players have been disciplined for a failed drug test. Some are facing suspensions. (laughs) University won't confirm the reason for the discipline or players' names. That is from... That is from Jordan Strack, and let me make sure I properly credit him. He is a sports director at WTOL 11 in Toledo, Ohio. He has 18.7 thousand followers, and he would be in the know. I mean, like what? Like Scott Leffler, head coach slash Tony Montana, or like <laughs> what, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> 16 <sighs> players failed a drug test? Like what is going I'm- on? I mean, with the way the defense looks most most weeks, I think Brian Van Gorder was probably smoking with them. <laughs> Zing, got him. Yeah, at least we hope so. Mike, the uh, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award goes to move move right on to that <laughs> Bailey Hockman at NC State. Look, truthfully, 
NC State, Wolfpack, Bailey Hockman looked really good the last two weeks. Like, huge credit to them. This week, not so much. Uh, 14-27 for 154 yards and a pick. That came out to about five and, a qu- and three-quarter yards per attempt. That is not the most effective use of 27 passes. It was not. And you know what? At least he completed 14 of them. So we'll give him credit for completing a little over 50%, but it did not go very well besides that. Hey, how about Liberty quarterback Malik Willis? He's not an ACC player, but we'll give him a little honorary award, right? A Absolutely. mention here. Yeah. Oh, um, for we, sure. We're, like, Liberty is not, not uh, ineligible for any of these, uh, these types of awards. They've played three yes. ACC games so far this year. That's correct. They're basically an ACC. I mean, shoot, they're playing better than some teams in the ACC. Uh, let's go with this. Okay, Malik Willis, 13 of 32 in this game, 172 yards, two touchdowns, three picks. So, as we mentioned about an hour ago when we recapped this game, it was not Willis's best effort, Joey. Mm-mm. It was eventful. Uh, it was, in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not great. So, uh, to you, Bailey, we say, Kobe. 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 Mike, who's your team of the week? I think there's only one option here. Team of the week is Pittsburgh Panthers. I think so. Honorable mention. NC State, NC, baby. NC State, yeah. Knocked off a ranked yeah. team. Underdog, or They were not underdogs. They were favored here. Uh, did not cover. But, hey, got it done. Only ACC team that can say they did that against Liberty all the year. So, good on you, NC State. Uh, you got a player of the week. Uh, Kenny Pickett. Yeah, I think so. 404 yards, two touchdowns. Uh Kenny Pickett would like to play Virginia Tech every week. <laughs> yeah. Um, at this point, I think a few teams would. Um, yeah, him. Uh, dear God. <laughs> Credit to DJ Turner, too. 15 catches, 184 yards. He was uh, he was busy Saturday afternoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, DJ Turner might, might you know, deserve a little bit more credit even than Kenny Pickett because some of those passes he threw to Turner. Turner made a little play or two after the catch. So, yeah. Um, yep. But, hey, Pickett was efficient. Good game from him. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I don't know if there were any like particularly great performances from anyone this weekend. So good on you, Kenny Pickett and DJ Turner. Good job. Good stuff. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else on week eleven? Uh no. I need to drink more, I think. <laughs> it is uh Well have midnight. good news. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. week. So there will be plenty of time for that. Oh man! Hopefully, there's not a coaching change this week. Oh man, that, that would be. that would result in a lot more work than you were planning on doing this week. That is <laughs> that is wholeheartedly correct. <laughs> All right, well, Mike, let's work on getting out of here. Uh, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FGRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can also find us on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Please do. Uh, posting a lot of cool content there, so go check us out. It's easy to find our stuff there, too. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Um, I'm getting faster at that every week. They can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, Mike, you want to tell me else they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there and make sure to check out our cool vintage apparel sponsor, Homefield. Absolutely. Like you mentioned earlier. Go ACC at checkout, 20% off your first order. Absolutely. Vintage apparel. Um, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm probably going to get on some of the uh, Louisville apparel for, uh, for Christmas. Yeah. They got some cool stuff. They got some really cool stuff. Vintage, Mike. 
vintage. Yeah, for those of you asking how to support our podcast, it's a great way to do it. Plus, you get to support the great guys over at Guys and Girls over at Homefield. Absolutely. Please do that. Great people. Good to work with. Um, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Not yet. I guess we'll talk later this week. I suppose so. Um, we'll probably give an update on whatever you know uh, measuring contest that Dabo and Clemson and Florida State are still having inevitably on Thanksgiving. <laughs> with a ruler or measuring tape is the question. <laughs> uh, we have a week week game, weekday game this week. <laughs> Changing we the do. subject, <laughs> we do. Uh, we didn't say that this was G rated. Yeah, well, no, we did not. Especially not an hour and a half into the show. Yeah, um, we didn't promise. Uh, we didn't promise Connor at home field that either. So. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, yeah, Mike should be a fun week. Actually, we um, I, I'm going to be traveling on Thanksgiving Day, but we'll we'll probably make sure this is up um, either later on Wednesday or early Thursday morning in case those are traveling. Um, but we got a we got a full slate of games, uh, six games to preview for next weekend, including on Friday afternoon, Black Friday, a big big game, probably one of the biggest games remaining on the ACC slate is Notre Dame travels to North Carolina. That should be a fun game to watch um, as you're uh, avoiding Black Friday shopping. So we will uh, come back and talk about that game here in a couple of days, Mike. Hope you like offense. I hope so. That should be a fun one. So uh, keep it tuned here. We will uh, we'll keep you updated and uh, hopefully keep you entertained as you uh, travel, go see family, or stay at home and don't see family because you know this is the kind of year that you might not do not might not be doing that. Do whatever you need to do safely. Absolutely. Please do. Mike, let's get out of here. We will uh, we'll talk again soon. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.